today I want to talk to you about change. And there's a, there's a phrase that I came across called the dark night of the soul. Because I just have a feeling if you've never been here, you'll get to where I'm talking about today one day. Or you may be in the middle of what I'm about to share. Or it may be just in your future. But this will touch you because it touches me. And it's just something that God does and He's done it both Old and New Testament and all of the people that He calls to know Him. How many know you're called to know Him? You're called to live with Him. You're called to walk with Him. And we are called to suffer for Him. How many hear me? That's not popular, but it's true. Have you ever had a time when nothing inside is settled? You can't put your finger on it, but nothing satisfies. Have you ever been there? Your breakfast no longer tastes good. Those eggs, no, they're not right. Your lunch is awful. Eating, maybe that's what pushed your buttons it no longer does. Or, you know, you, this, this something on the inside is constantly gnawing. You can't pray it away. You can't fast it away. You can't play it away. You can't jog it away. You can't exercise it away. I don't care if you go to vacation, you can't vacation it away, whether you're, at the, whether you're at the beach or the lake or the mountains or somewhere else. You can't get away from this, what I'm talking about. There's an inescapable, I don't know what this is, but I'm not satisfied feeling. Now, this is, this is a practical theology. If I was doing a theology course, this would be practical stuff, all right? This is where the rubber meets the road. There are times, if you have these kind of times in life where nothing can satisfy you. Well, we've all been there. If you haven't been there again, you haven't lived long. I've been there several times, and I can tell you that what I'm about to share, I'm in the middle of it right now, and I don't know what to do with it. But I know it, the end result will be grand. God will put you in a place where you have to seek until you find. You have to pray. You can't be satisfied just hearing a human voice. You've got to hear him. You're not satisfied with where you were or what you were doing. Something's changing inside. God's saying, come away. Like the song of Solomon, come away, my beloved. Come and listen to me. <laughs> come and be with me. The flesh will no longer satisfy. We've, we've got a generation, our culture now in America. We've got every fleshly lust craving attention. How I many hear me? We've got mental things pawing at us all day. And all the while God's saying, come. And we're not listening. And so he's turning up the volume inside. And he does that by making us so irresistibly miserable. <laughs> that we say, God, why am I so dissatisfied? How many hear what I'm saying? Yeah, so ever so often you come to these crossroads. It's a life crossroad. Ever, ever so often you come there. Several scriptures that talk about God working in us personally. Let's just listen to this. John 16, 13, when Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. And he'll tell you about the future. See, God wants to speak inside and prepare us for what's ahead of us. How many hear me? And I can speak prophetically and say, we've got some difficulties coming. 
America is not ready for what is coming. I don't even know if I'm ready. I don't even like to tell you that. But I'd be wrong if I didn't. And God is saying, now's the time to prepare. Because the thing that will sustain us in the future is not our money, is not our things, is not our preoccupation with our hobbies. The only thing that will sustain us is His presence. In His presence is fullness. Fullness. Fullness of joy. Fullness of everything we need. And outside of that, life will get really, really bad. How many hear me? So he's trying to prepare us. Then Psalm 39, 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every single moment laid out before a single day had passed. What does that tell us? God has preordained a life that he wants me and you to live. That means when you wake up in the morning, God's got a purpose for that day. I just have a question for me. How many days do I go and just go through the motions of what I want to do and what I'm thinking and the conversations that I want to have and the way I want to fill my time? We're reaching a point that God is saying, I want you to focus more on my agenda than yours. I want you to let your agenda take the back seat and let my agenda take the front seat. How many hear me? That's where we're at. He's got a purpose, a plan. So Philippians 1, 6, I love this. I'm certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Isn't that awesome? So the good news is every day of your life, how many know that God is working in you? Yes or no? Psalm 138.8, I love this verse here, two translations, first one, New King James. And what Psalm 138.8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me, that perfect bring to completion what he started. That's what that means. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You ever feel forsaken? Like nothing's working right and you don't know why? Oh, yeah. The New Living Translation is really good. The Lord will work out His plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Well, what is that saying? Don't abandon me. He obviously feels abandoned. Where's God in my circumstance? Where's God while I've got this new position on this job? Where's God when my family's going through this? Where's God when I'm facing this personal thing that, that nobody knows I'm wrestling with on the inside? I'm, I'm smiling at church. I'm smiling at work, but I'm frowning inside. I'm dying inside. What's the matter? You ever been there? He was there. He was there. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Then Philippians 2, 12 and 13, I love this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Paul says to the believers at Philippi, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not saying that you work and you earn salvation. What that is saying is you've got to take the life that God deposits on the inside and deal with the flesh. You've got to start saying no to the big yeses you've had. To the things that have satisfied your mind and your body and your emotions and your relationships. And you got to say no to the things that God says no to. And he says it, work out. Bring out from the inside what God's placed in you. Work out your own salvation. Work out those nuances of life that need to change. That the Holy Spirit speaking. Change this, alter that. Don't think that way, don't talk that way, don't act that way, don't go to that place. Don't hang out with that person anymore. How many hear what I'm saying? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God 
who works in you. Isn't that good? Isn't it great to have God working in you? But how are you doing today? Well, God is working in me. Sometimes that feels great, and sometimes it feels lousy because it's, it's dealing with your flesh. How many hear me? Sometimes when God's wake, working in you, it's 3 a.m., and you can hear inside, get up and pray. I'm too sleepy. Get up. See, you're working out what's in you, right? For it's God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. Back in the um, early 1980s, this dates me. I was in my twi- early 20s. And um, I got a lot to read, so I'm always looking for new books and such. And there was no internet. There were no e-books. Everything was hard copy. And I got a book by a guy on the West Coast named Mario Murillo. You ever heard of him? A wonderful man. His, his father's in ministry. He's an older man in his late 80s now. <clears throat> Morris Cirillo. No, that's not his father. Mary and Marillo, they're not kin. I thought they were, but they're not. I'm corrected. Nonetheless, um, I got the book, and the book is entitled Critical Mass. And the book is an expose of personal revival and then revival for a, a nation. And, and it's a cry to get closer to God. So I like to read those kinds of books. They, they keep me stirred up, uh, a hungry spirit. How many know you got to keep yourself spiritually? And if you're going to be hungry spiritually, it's only on purpose. There's everything, everything in the world to dull you down. You know, I keep a, a pocket knife in my pocket all the time. And if I'm going to keep my knife uh, sharp, I've got to do it on purpose. Uh, if you're going to keep your spiritual life sharp, you've you got to do it on purpose. So I read things. and So I was reading this book, Critical Mass, and uh, this is really the first time I'd heard this phrase, the dark night of the soul, and he was talking about God working in you. And I was reminded of that this past week in a conversation with someone. And then I, I thought about that book again and what he was talking about in that book. And then I did some research and, and I found out that this Catholic believer in the 1500s, that would be the 16th century, named St. John of the Cross. Isn't that a cool name? That's what they called him. And he, he wrote a couple of books. And in the books, he talked about the dark night. And, and he was speaking in those books of a time that that God would begin to deal with you in, in very pertinent, specific ways and, and ask things of you that make you uncomfortable and that, that change how you, how you focus and how you live your everyday life. And he called it the dark night later on. That's been picked up by contemporary culture and, and people begin to call it the dark night of the soul. And that's a day when unexplainably you just feel this wrenching inside and nothing, nothing, nothing can satisfy you. And, and honestly, it's some of the hardest times in life. How many know what I'm talking about? When you're going through something on the inside, you still through, need to, and you feel like you're going through the motions at work. You, you're volunteering at church. Sometimes you feel like you're going through the motions. You know, you're, you're doing what you know to do. You got to raise your children. You got to take them to school. You got to go to the grocery store. But all the while, something on the inside is etching away. And it's because God's trying to move us towards a place of change. How many hear me? This dark night of the soul is all about bringing us to the end of us, of ourselves and our own human yearnings and desires and wills until we're willing to grasp the next thing that God has for us. It's about change. How many know change is not easy? How many have figured that out? If God's requiring change, change is hard. It's hard to stop what is common Easy and common becomes easy and then tread a new path. When I was a little boy, I, um, 
I, I was raised way out in the country. We had fields all over, five fields around my house. We had a big forest behind my house. And, um, and I would take off, say, Mom, I'm, I'm gone. I'd be gone for hours. I think about it now, and I thought, how stupid can I be? I never took a compass. always looked at the sun and knew I have good directions. And I would take off into the forest, and I would follow a, a, a rabbit's trail or a deer trail. You can see their, you can see their hoofs prints, their footprints. And there's a little tiny trail, it's rabbits, or a larger trail, it's, it's deer. And I would follow them. And, and every now and then I say, you know, I'm going to make a new path. And it was full of briars. And I don't know if, you, if you've lived in the country, you're going to know what I'm about to say. Beggar lice. It gets on your pants and you can't get it off. How many know what that is? Cuckoo birds. How many have ever heard of them? I'd come home and say, Mama, say, where you been? I said, oh, I, I blazed a new path today in the forest. Well, that's what this... Uh, Dark night of the soul is God's wanting you to change, but it brings with it discomfort. It's not a path you've normally been in. It's, it's really difficult. And then in this book, Critical Mass, and this is where the name of the book uh, comes from, uh, Mario Murillo talks about nuclear fission. I personally like quantum physics. This is the smallest particles that make up matter. In physics, of course, we got the atom, and now the atom's made of an electron, neutron, proton, you know all that, perhaps. But nuclear fission. We use nuclear fission today. It uh, helps us generate energy. If you keep nuclear fission in a box, well, we've got our, we've got our, uh, our, uh, nu- our nuclear plants that, keep, that give us electricity. Or if you keep it out of the box, it's in this big bomb and when the nuclear fission happens, it explodes and creates devastating effects like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we have nuclear weapons today. But nuclear fission is a process whereby uh, a, a beam of, 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 um, of neutrons is pointed at an atom, at the nucleus of an atom. And they're pointed there subatomically. Nobody can see it, but you know it's there. And there, and there are, are materials that are radio, radioactive and and they're prone to this, and so they, they point this beam of neutrons at the core of an atom, and there's, there's, a, there's a neutron and a proton there, and, and, and it's pointing it at it, and they're wanting that atom to split because when the atom splits, energy is produced. Again, useful energy or energy that can destroy. But energy is created from that process, and that's called nuclear fission. Well, when they pro- point that beam of neutrons at that atom, and nothing happens. The, the nucleus actually gets depressed, scientists say. And, and it looks for a while like nothing's happening. Well, when nothing's happening, they just keep at it. And they just turn up the heat, and they keep that, that beam headed towards that atom. And then, and then while it looks like nothing's happening, suddenly, boom, the atom splits. And then if it can produce a chain reaction, then you have, you have nuclear energy. It keeps going. It goes nuclear. It goes on and on and on and on. How many hear me? And that's the process that Mario Milarillo says happens when God is dealing with you and he points at you and nothing can satisfy you and it seems like nothing's changing, nothing's happening. He's left you high and dry. Nothing in life can satisfy. It's just like that nuclear fission. Just before an explosion of energy, 
there's a huge dead space where it seems like nothing's going on. How many hear me? He says that like this, this is also what happens. This is from his book. Right before a big change in your life, all of a sudden you hit a brick wall. The power is gone. God's presence seems to have lifted. Your prayers feel trapped in your mouth. A deep despair settles in. You feel physically drained. And then he goes on to say, everything you've done before you reach, this dark night will seem unimportant. It's what you do now that makes or breaks your heart's desires. And no other time does God express love more, he says, than when he allows this time of total emptiness. God risks, listen to this, this was cool. I hadn't read this in years, y'all. I took the book again. God risks being misunderstood. He faces the potential of one of his children walking away frustrated, confused. But he believes the good will, it will produce is well worth the risk. Isn't that awesome? That's different, right? Why does God allow the dark night of the soul? And I wrote this in my notes. He will allow it to bring us to a place where we are so desperate that we're willing to do whatever to get out of the place we're in. We're willing to change any attitude, any action. We're willing to let go of what we think is important and embrace the new phase that God has. How many hear what I'm saying? All through the Bible, you've got examples of this. I as I was, I mean, I mean, this downloaded to me, it seemed like in half a second. You think about Joseph, he had a, you know, he had the vision and saw his family bowing before him, saw himself as a, a leader with people doing obeisance in his presence. And for 13 years, he basically was a slave and he was a prisoner. And don't you imagine that was the dark night of the soul for Joseph as he thought about his brothers, his father, the food that his mother prepared, the f- fun times he had with his brothers as they played in the fields and and all of the things that go with a family life with a large family he thought about his bed at home probably his bedroom and all of that thought about his clothes and here he is in a dark dank prison and i was there because of nothing he himself done but see that that dark night of the soul prepared joseph to be a leader the leader of all of egypt next only to pharaoh isn't that amazing It's the dark night that prepared him. He had to search himself. What's important to me? What has God placed in me? What do I need to see as valuable and important in my life? You see it in in Moses' life. Moses, you see Moses, there he is in a desert. I've tried to put myself in this, and it's hard for me to really think about it, but here's Moses for four, think about 40 years of life. Now, I'm 60 years old, so I can think about what 40 years is like. There's a lot of life lived in 40 years. So here's Moses, decade after decade after decade after decade, and all he sees is smelly sheep and a desert place, a barren, a place, some places are barren, and he's got to take the sheep to place after place to find food, to find water. So he's constantly on the move. He stinks himself, probably rarely gets a bath. And while the sheep are eating, maybe he's hanging on a shepherd's rod, watching them, making sure no wolves are coming up. And his mind goes back to the days he was in Pharaoh's court. He was trained to be a leader in Egypt. He probably probably thought about the pita bread he ate. I've had some of the best pita bread in my life in Cairo, Egypt. Man, it smells so good. Those outdoor ovens. Oh my, and I'm sure he was thinking about the food, that Mediterranean food that's so good. Some of the lamb 
that they would carve and he would, oh man, he was thinking about, he's thinking about the clothes he wore in the, in the king's court, thinking about the opulent buildings that he frequented, thinking about the flowers that were probably planted outside that had such a wonderful aroma. He's probably thinking about his mother's voice. He's probably thinking about all of that he saw, all of the things he learned in Pharaoh's court, but here he is in the desert. Well, that's the dark night of the soul. It took 40 years for God to do what he needed to do in Moses because for the next 40 years, until he was 120, God used him to lead his people, God's people, out of bondage into the land of promise, right to the edge of the land of promise. For God to do that, he had to do something deep in Moses. How many hear me? Y'all are really quiet. Y'all listening? That's the dark night of the soul for Moses. Think about, think about what God had. And then you think about David. Here's a, here's a redhead, freckle-faced little boy, you know, and he's a shepherd, and he spends all of his time, most of his time with stinky little sheep. But there's a, but there's a big bully bullying Israel. His name's Goliath of Gath. And God says to, to David, I want you to go and I want you to go slay that big giant and just use a slingshot because I want people to know that power is not in human resource. Power is in your relationship with God. And he took his slingshot and he said, you think you're defying Israel? You're defying my God. And he pointed that slingshot, slew the giant, cut his head off, rest is history. And then all of the pretty girls were singing. David is slain. I mean, Saul has slain his thousand, but David is ten thousand. And when David would come along, the little girls would swoon. But David finds himself in a cave, the cave of Adullam. Saul's mad at him. Saul's mad at him because everybody's singing his praises and not Saul. Saul's full of pride. How many know if you've got pride, it will bring you low? David had to run for his life. He had to live in a cave. He had, to, he had to eat stuff he didn't want to eat. It was the dark night of the soul. And he had to stay there and he probably thought about killing Goliath. How many times do you think he thought about that? How many times did he think about those voices with all the accolades for what he had accomplished? How many times you, did you, you think that he thought during that time about his family and his, his bed, his comfortable home, his, his nice life with his family? But no, he was alone in a cave because God had to train him to become king of Israel. How many hear me? You need to think about Jesus. Man, I, I got to thinking, here's Jesus. And, you know, I spent time with my family yesterday. It was uh, my granddaughter's. We celebrated her first birthday. Wasn't that fun, Sarah? So I had three of my four kids there. And, my, you know, in my, my uh, um, daughter-in-law, son-in-law and such. And uh, then all three of my four grandchildren so I was thinking, you know, about my family, and I was thinking about the, y'all don't know, I was thinking about the ages of my children. They're in their 30s. One's in their late 20s. But then I got to thinking about Jesus. You remember, 33 and a half years old. If you're older, you remember when you were 33, your early 30s, or maybe you're in your early 30s today, or maybe in your early 20s, or maybe in your teens. You know, early 30s, that's kind of prime stuff. Physically, you're viral. Mentally, you're on. You got plans. You got ambition. You're ready to move with life. You're in the middle of it, right? 33 and a half. But at 33 and a half, Jesus gets to praying. And he sees the cross. And he sees the, the Roman whip. And he sees the grave. And he sees ostracism from his father. He sees where he's going. 
He sees what he's facing. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he gets down, and I've been there where there's gnarled olive trees. Some of the olive trees still exist today in Israel. If you go to the Mount of Olives, they're 2,000 years old, y'all. They're old and big and gnarled. He's kneeling under the trees. He's saying, oh God, I'm a young man. I got life before me. Jesus was human as well as divine, right? He's probably thinking about his mama. How he helped his mom after his dad, tradition says, died. And he kept up the carpenter shop. He thought about his friends. Thought about, again, the food. Don't we like food? Huh? Thought about all the things that he enjoys in life. And thought about his relationship with his disciples. And thought about what life could be. But Father saying, it's time. It's time for you to end your life. It's time for you to give yourself away. It's time for you to allow yourself to go through a barbaric death for all of humanity. And he was kneeling on the ground. And you know what he said, God, if there is any other way, do it. Do it. I don't want to face it. I don't want to go there. I don't want it. My flesh doesn't want it. And he was so mentally agitated, he sweat blood. And he ended up saying, Father, not my will, yours. He got up from that place. That was the dark night for Jesus. The dark night of the soul. God was asking for things that he had to willingly allow. You see, God brings that to every life. Every phase of your relationship with Jesus brings you to this, to this fork in the road. And you've got to make a decision. Am I going to live with the culture? Am I going to please our culture? Am I going to be so influenced by culture that I refuse God and His Word and His way? That I refuse to listening, listen to the, the voice, that still, small voice of the Spirit of God etching away inside. Go here. Stop that. Do this. Do that. Don't hang there anymore. Don't go there anymore. Go here. When I was a young man, God began to deal with my life. I can't even believe sometimes that I'm even alive. Many of my friends are dead right now because of choices they made. I could have easily made those choices. But see, in every life, if you're going to aggress spiritually, God will bring you to that place that St. John of the, cross, of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Early 80s, I'd been to two Bible schools. My father rid me regularly. I'd call him. I was living in Oklahoma. He was living in South Carolina. You in ministry yet? No, sir. I was a, a night manager at a, a grocery store called Safeway on the other side of the Mississippi. Safeway is really popular. And I was a night manager, made really good money for the day and for my age. I was kind of proud of myself. And God said, go to work for a church. And the only position available was a janitor's job. And I took my nice lofty position of being store man, night manager to janitor. Now, that did something to my head. You get what I'm saying, right? So I got my light blue shirt, my dark blue pants. I got my little name right here. It says Mitch Horton. I got a picture of it. You ought to see it. I had a bouffant hairstyle. I still had hair. 
<clears throat> and, you know, it was great for a while because, you know, I thought, well, I'm working for God, you know. This is pretty awesome. But, but you know, uh, it began to change over a period of time. And what I once thought was awesome became awful. And then I had a little phrase I said within myself. I don't think I said it to anybody. I said, I said well, I'm going to serve God's nasty people. That's what I, I never said, I'd, I'd probably been fired if I'd have said God's nasty people. And, you know, and I had this little inside of me, I say, man, they're like cows. They're like cattle. And we had 5,000 people come into the church. So we had 5,000 people trampling the carpet and, you know, messing up the, all the windows and doors and, you know, filling up the trash cans. And then not to even mention the, the stinky bathrooms. That's where I got God's nasty people. And see, all seriously, week after week, we had a Christian school there, had a bunch of kids. We had chairs to move every single week, twice a week. We had just busy. And I got to where I loathed going to work. And I'd go into work, and I'm thinking, okay, God, there's got to be rhyme and reason for this. And I, I got aggravated, and I started inside. Listen, I did. Inside of me, I started, you know, tearing down the pastor and his staff. I did. Why are they not doing that? If they did that, I wouldn't have to do this. La, 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 yada, yada. You know? And one day, I was in the bathroom. It wasn't a little tiny bathroom. There were probably a dozen toilets here. I got to clean every one. I got to swab them out, clean them out. No reason for details. You get it. God's nasty people. And y'all, I, 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 I backed up. I come out of the stall. I'll never forget. And uh, I said, God, why you got me doing this? I got better inside me than this. I've been to two Bible schools. I mean, I could preach for crying out loud. Why this? I don't want to do it anymore. I was mad. And I leaned against the counter. And I just, it's like I heard him say, will you do it for me? Yeah, I'll do it for you. And then God gave me that psalm, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. And I wept for a while and I said, God, um, if you want me to do this the rest of my life, I'll be the best toilet swabber the body of Christ has. I'll be the best janitor. And I'll do it to the glory of God until the day I die, if that's your will. And y'all, the moment I said that, something changed. It's like a switch. Peace came. We had a song when I was young. We sang, I got peace like a river in my soul. Peace came. I said, God, is, is this what you were looking for? You wanted me to say I'll do this the rest of my life? I don't really want to, but I will. I'm willing. Y'all, it wasn't just a while later, just a few months later, a ministry position opened up and I got on the pastoral staff of that church. But can I tell you, I, I would have never gotten there until I went through the dark night. How many hear me? And let God deal with me. I got one other experience in my own life. Um, this is 1991, 1988. Susan and I had two children and she was pregnant with Jessica our third child. Sarah was two years old. 
Jonathan was uh, four years old. Jessica was in the womb to be born three months after we got to South Carolina. Jessica was born in December of 1988. We got to South Carolina September 1988 in a small city. I started a church. And I thought I'd be there the rest of my life. And that's what I had planned because that's the way I live my life. When God gives me an assignment, I'm there. I'm there for life. And I'm not going anywhere unless he speaks. That's it. And God had me turn that church over to someone else. I got to make a really long story short. So three years later, here it is, 1991, I turned the church over to another pastor. I was in a traveling ministry. I ministered most weekends. But during the week, I augmented my income. God supernaturally spoke to me. And I started a business, a, paint, a, a house painting business. And, and I have to tell you, some of you have heard some of this before, but at the time, that was, like the low, that was like being a janitor to me. Because the only people I thought did house painting were people who were preachers that can't preach or alcoholics. And I found out, you know, some really good people do paint, house painting, right? Well, that was my biases, and God was dealing with my, no, I want you to paint houses. I said, you got to be. I ain't doing that. Well, I did it. I acquiesced. And I did it. And you know, God blessed the business. In fact, I was in Waycross, Georgia one time, and Susan Cobb was doing a three-day meeting. And Susan said, Mitch, you may want to consider coming home. You just got your 12th contract accepted. I said, you got to be joking. So I ended up hiring several people. I turned that business over. Mike Norris used to work here. He actually took my business. I gave it to him in 1992, 93. 93 is when I gave it to him. And uh, anyway... So here I am, 1991, I'm running that little business, it's during the week, it's in the summer, and it's, I think I, I actually, I've got this weird, strange brain, it was 97 degrees that day, I remember that, so that's really weird. Anyway, I'm up on top of a ladder, I'm probably 12, 15 feet off the ground, and I've got a mask on, and I've got goggles on, and I've got some headphones on my head, and, uh, and, and we had siding on this old house, we were restoring an old house. And there was some, uh, some uh, oil paint that when it gets old, it hardens and cracks. And it had cracked all over that house. And the only way to get it off is to get a grinder and grind it off. So I mean, you can imagine I'm 12, 15 feet up in the air. I got a grinder. I'm all suited up. And here I am. And I'm thinking, this is, must be what the Isle of Patmos is like. <laughs> you know? And I'm belly aching. Oh, God, why am I? And here's what I was thinking. You know what? The devil will play tricks on your mind. huh? He'll use your own thoughts and attack you. And you know what he was saying to me? Your best days are behind you. That's what he was, Your best days are behind you. Remember when? Remember when you worked at that big church and you got promoted? And you were on pastoral staff and you did weddings and funerals and you, you, and you counseled for the pastor? You preached to thousands of people. Remember that? Remember all the people were patting you on the back and telling you how wonderful you... You don't have that anymore. And see, that was a wrong motive anyway. I shouldn't be have people looking at me. They ought to be looking at Jesus. Truth is, I was full of pride. Let me tell you what God will do. He will give you a gift, let you see what it is, and if you glory in it too much, He'll put it on the side and let you do something different. Huh? I had to have my suits. I had to have my hair just right. I had to have my, at the time, attache case. Now, I still keep my car spotless. He lets me do that. But everything had to be to perfection. And people would come up to me and say, well, it's like you're just perfect. And I would humbly say, oh, no, it's just the Lord. 
If you can't deal with your pride, God will. He took me out of that spot. Placed me in a little town, started a church, turned it over to someone. I'm in the traveling ministry. I got this business I never wanted. But God prospered, and here I am on that ladder, and I'm thinking about all this. Thinking about all that was. And these thoughts keep coming. You've preached your best. You've done your best. You've ministered your best. Your best life is behind you. I'm grinding away. And while that happened, I had headphones on. Now you call them earbuds. They had headphones at the time. And I was listening to a Christian radio station. And this guy named Steve Green, y'all ever heard of him? Uh, came on the radio and he started, uh, started singing a song. Now you don't know me well, but in my truck I sing. And I sing this song to myself sometimes. And while I was up on the ladder, the song came on. And I stopped, I had to stop the grinder. And I heard Steve Green's voice singing in my ears. Is the struggle you're facing slowly replacing the hope with despair? Or the process so long that you're losing your song in the night? You can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he has his pleasure in you. And I began to weep, y'all. I wept my eyes out. I had, I had tears that, that stained the white all over my face from all that mess. I was grinding off that white house. And he kept singing, He who began a good work in you, He who began a good work in you, He'll be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. I broke. I broke. I started sobbing on top of that ladder saying, God, God, why? Why? Why'd I have to be here? Why'd I have to do this? Why? And I heard him. Do you love me? I said, yeah. Do you want my presence? I said, yeah. yeah. You willing to do this? He said it again. You willing to do this the rest of your life? If it's my will. Sobbing. I said, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. And Steve Green sang the chorus again. He'll be faithful to complete it. Now, you know, peace came. And y'all, I, 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 honest, it's like a, it's like a, a, a switch tripped inside me. And um, things were never the same. I didn't have to preach anymore. I didn't have to wear the nice suit. I didn't have to dress to the nines. I didn't, I didn't have to have my attache. I didn't have to look just right. I didn't have to be in ministry. Just to know you. I said it again. Lord, just to know you. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I don't need men. I need you. I don't need ministry. I made ministry an idol. I didn't need it anymore. That was a change. 
And the next year, full-time ministry opened up to me. I became associate pastor of a church in my hometown. And the pastor actually left and moved to Latvia, Europe, <laughs> and started a church. And I pastored his church for him. And then I came here. And I've been here for this year, 25 years. And that's a true story. The dark night of the soul. What about you? What are you wrestling with? Are you unsettled right now? Is God trying to get your attention? Is he wanting you to do something different? The thing about this is you you won't know what it is. God won't tell you. He'll just make you uncomfortable inside. Uncomfortable enough to seek. How many hear what I'm saying? And you know if you yield to the process, the end result can be amazing. I feel I'm there again. I've been doing what I do a long time. But I'm not satisfied inside. I'm not satisfied with church services. I'm not satisfied with me. I'm not satisfied. And I can't get satisfied. So if you're at that place, it could be the dark night of the soul where God has got you in a crossroads. He's wanting you to change. Three things I can tell you to do during that time. Number one, pray. Take some extra time to wait, to, to pray. I pull my heart out to God and tell Him just what I'm thinking, just what I'm feeling, just why. Praise and worship team can go ahead and go up there. I'm, I'm really about done. Pray. So I'm doing that. I'm praying extra. And then I take my Bible and, and read. We got so many voices talking to us today. If you're going to do anything with God, it's only on purpose. Would you agree with that? Huh? There's everything in the world to take your time. So I'm doing some extra reading. And then it's something that's not popular and hard to do in, in the culture we're in now. Wait. To wait in the presence of God. That is to be inactive enough that you get quiet enough to hear yourself inside. I've had a lot of people been in ministry since 1981, mostly, except for those few times I just mentioned. But I've had so many people tell me they're afraid to get quiet because they're afraid of what they may hear. They feel so badly about themselves. They don't want to hear that taunting voice inside anymore. The voice of accusation. How many hear me? Huh? Or they don't want to hear God say, I want you to give it a little extra, do a little more, do something different. They want to play it safe. There's no such thing as playing it safe. Y'all, when we get to heaven and stand before Jesus, He's not going to look at you and say, well, look at all you did. No, one thing He's going to look at is what He called me and you to do. And did we fulfill what He asked us to do? Huh? Then if you do, you'll hear those words, well done. Huh? Back when I was a little boy, some of these uh, Pentecostal churches sang this little song, Lord, just give me this cabin on the corner of glory land. I don't want to live in a cabin in eternity. I want to live with Jesus, right? They're saying, I just want to, just want to barely eke into the pearly gate and get, and get just one toe so I can get on into heaven. No, no, have a grand entrance into the kingdom of God.